Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Super Speed Golf. Now here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for joining me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro, and, and I can't thank you enough for making us a part of your golf content life again this week. We're going to have some fun tonight. Three more great guests that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. First up with me, I'm going to get a return visit from Jason Hayes. Jason is the head golf professional at Buffalo Dunes Golf Club out in Garden City, Kansas, which, oh, by the way, is the site of this week's Garden City Charity Classic on the Symmetra Tour. So we'll talk at length about that and what it takes to put an event like that out there, you know, for folks and being a part of the Symmetra Tour. Plus, we'll get a couple of playing lessons. We'll try to get a couple of playing lessons from Jason for you as well. So look forward to having Jason back on the show with me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from former PGA Tour Pro and now a wonderful instructor that you've likely seen on the Golf Channel's Golf Academy, and that's Alan Miller. Allen played out on the PGA Tour for 15 years, finished tied for 15th at the 1975 Masters, perhaps the greatest Masters of all time. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about his time playing in the 1984 PGA Championship as well. Allen's wife, Cindy Miller, one of my all-time favorite guests here on the show and a great instructor in her own right. So we'll talk about Allen's career. We'll get some playing lessons from him. Got a great one about a buried lie in a bunker and how to get that ball out and land it soft on the green so it rolls like a putt. We'll be sure to get to that. Allen will join me a little bit later on in this half hour. Then I'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from Jerry Mullaly. Jerry is the founder of Par Bar and now Par Water. You hear me talking about both of those products every week here on the show. So we'll talk about proper nutrition, proper hydration, what to do when you're out there on the golf course, right? Because if you're, if you're even slightly dehydrated or you're hungry and you're not you know, giving yourself the proper nutrients that you need while you're playing, your ability to play is going to go right downhill, right? You're going to lose your focus. You're going to lose your ability to hit the ball with, with distance and accuracy. So we'll talk about that. Jerry will join me about 45 minutes from now. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour or so. But before we get started, I want to remind you about our good friend Matthew Lawrence and his show, Backspin Golf, which airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's my regular Sunday, 8.03 a.m. Tea Time, It's broadcast on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it live by going online to WLXG.com or do what I did, which is download the WLXG app. Matthew does such a great job, and it's a wonderful way to kickstart your Sunday mornings. His equally fantastic twin brother, Mitchell, also has a great golf show that marries golf and travel. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audio Boom, or really anywhere you consume your podcast. He and his co-host Darren Bunch travel all over the world and let you know about great places to play, stay, and even eat while you're there. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audio Boom. And folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's share a word from Steve Rondonero about the things they've got going on up there. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. Yeah, be sure to go online to check them out at FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a fantastic place it is and to book your stay as well. Also want to give a shout-out to our friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. And, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan irons since the 80s or 90s, get yourself a demo iron of either their Fort Worth, PTX, or new edge irons and go out on the range and compare them to whatever you have. 
All Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. No mass production, no shortcuts. You can now order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids at BenHoganGolf.com. They'll build the clubs to your specifications, and best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories, again, at BenHoganGolf.com. We're also proud to be partnering with Russ Holden and the folks at Caddy for a Cure. And one of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service members and Fanconi anemia. You're going to get to walk side by side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to the amazing experience you're going to have, you're going to get a fantastic gift package from Caddy for a Cure, which includes Under Armour logoed apparel and an eyewear package, a tour-grade caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a tin cup ball marking gift, chef's cut real jerky, and a professional photograph from your day. They've got spots open right now that you can bid on to be the caddy for Rory McIlroy, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Jason Day, Justin Rose, and several others. Go online to Caddy for a Cure which is spelled C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E. So caddyforacure.com to learn more. All right, now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Jason Hayes. Let me remind you about Jason's background. He's from Tucumcari, New Mexico. He attended the New Mexico Military Institute in Roswell, New Mexico. And yes, that Roswell, New Mexico. Earned his certification as a PGA professional from the PGA of America back in 1998. He's been the vice president of the North Texas PGA section since 2016. He also served as the president of the Northern Texas PGA West chapter in 2012 and 13. Jason's been recognized with several awards. Just a few of them are. He's won the Bill Strasbaugh Award, which is for the top top honor given by the Northern Texas PGA West Texas chapter. He won that award in 2005, 7, 8, and 16. He was the chapter's Golf Professional of the Year in 2011, 12, and 13, and Teacher of the Year in 2009 and 2010. He was the Manager of the Year in 1998 for Four Star Golf Corporation while at Scott Park, and he won the Northern Texas PGA Western Championship in 2010. He helped start up and coach the golf program at Angelo State University, which was a Division II or is a Division II school, and he helped get that program to national prominence in only their second year of existence. He's been the director of golf at clubs like Fairway Oaks Country Club, San Angelo Country Club, and last October, he moved over to Buffalo Dunes Golf Course in Garden City, Kansas, and I'm honored to have Jason back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jason, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, thanks for having me again. Uh, it's uh, It's been a, a great season, and uh, it's, it's been fun to uh, listen to the, to the show and uh, keep up with it every week. So, again, thanks for having me. Jason, you've got this week's Symmetra Tour tournament there at Buffalo Dunes. How are things going in preparation for the tournament? It uh, it has been uh, a kind of a full court press the last uh, week or so. We've had some weather, some rain, um, but everything. The golf course is in fantastic shape. Our uh, golf course superintendent Clay Payne and his staff have uh, just been working their tails off. Uh, my staff's been doing the same. Um, girls started uh, arriving uh, yesterday and today. Um, we've got 132 over the next uh, five days, and and we're pretty excited. We have our uh, pairings party uh, silent and live auction going on right now. Um, we're doing it a little different this year. We've been indoors uh, for the uh, previous events. This year, we're actually at uh, the zoo uh, in Garden City, and it's uh, it's pretty amazing so i think we're doing a good job not to pat ourselves on the but it's it's turned out really good jason how far out did you guys have to start planning to host a tournament you know we uh we actually started prepping for this uh we started having uh committee meetings starting in uh, december uh we met uh, once a month up until about mid-march and um from there we i mean we just it just kind of ramps up slowly uh, the last uh, month and a half, we've met once a week, just making sure we've got all of our ducks in a row, um, sponsors taken care of, just, you know, everything that you would uh, have to do when you're running an event of this this nature. So um, it's it's a lot of preparation and planning, 
And uh, like I was telling somebody earlier today, um, it's kind of our Super Bowl for the year. Jason, how involved has the LPGA been in helping to set up the course? When did they arrive out there to kind of look around and get things set up in the way they wanted it and have it look and come off the way that their expectations are? They're, uh, they arrived uh, yesterday. Um, they finished up their event in uh, two balls on Sunday. Um, Tim Kramer and his staff, uh, uh, Tiffany Priest, came in uh, yesterday. Uh, she went out and kind of started marking the golf course. Uh, getting tees, uh, situated. Um, she's, she's been out there, uh, I guess she got out there about 11 o'clock yesterday. She's been out there. I think she left the golf course probably 7.30 or 8 last night. And then, uh, they all showed up this morning about, uh, 7.30 and, uh, they've been hard at it. So they, uh, they spend a lot of time on the road and, and, uh, you know, they, they're putting up tee signs. Uh, getting pin sheets ready to go, uh, meeting with the superintendent myself, trying to just get all their ducks in a row also. So, um, they're, uh, they're fantastic to work with. They actually make it pretty seamless. How much different will the course play now versus how it normally plays? The golf course is going to play actually probably a little bit longer than it normally does. Uh, typically this time of year we're a little drier, but we've had a lot of rain kind of southwest Kansas, central Kansas. So the golf course is going to play a little bit long. The rough uh, is really, really sticky. Uh, the bluegrass, ryegrass rough is going to give the girls a problem. Um, hitting the fairway is definitely going to be a precedent. Um, the native rough is, uh, I mean, if you get it out of the out of the fairway or out of that first cut of rough, you're, you're going to be lucky to find it or just kind of wedge it back out into play. So golf course is definitely going to be difficult this week. Jason, what kind of crowds are you guys expecting for the tournament? We'll, hopefully we'll have a uh, thousand people a day. Um, we've got uh, our pro-am. We've got a double shotgun in the morning. We've got 33 teams in the morning and 33 teams in the afternoon. So all those players will be out. The, the city of Garden City and the surrounding area, um, we'll, we have a lot of support. We'll have a lot of uh, people traveling in to uh, come check it out. I mean, it's one of the biggest sporting events, if not the biggest sporting event in this part of Kansas. Jason, have any of the players sought you out to pick your brain on the course and how they should play to kind of get an edge over maybe the rest of the field? There, there's a few of them. Um, most of them have, uh, believe it or not, have, have played here before. There are a few that will, uh, will ask some questions or, you know, when they come in to get a yardage book, they'll, they'll ask about angles and, you know, how do you play this hole or what do you think about this? One of the questions I've been asked a few times is, is, you know, what's a good yardage to play your second shot from? And the golf course plays, if you can keep it between 125 and 140 yards in the middle of the fairway, the golf course is pretty gettable. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sneaky angles off the tees, um, tee shots and stuff that you've got to be aware of. Jason, talk about Buffalo Dunes and what makes the course special. So the golf course, uh, was designed by Frank Hummel in, uh, 1976. Um, we are in, located in kind of some sand dunes south of town. Uh, the golf course has a lot of up and down. Um, tee shot is definitely a, a precedent. You need to hit a good tee shot. And then the big defense is the wind. If the wind gets blowing, um, it makes the golf course play very difficult. Uh, you need to learn how to flight your golf ball. Um, you can't just hit one type of shot. You're going to have to control your trajectories. You're going to have to, you know, move the ball up and down. You're going to have to be able to move it left to right. Um, it's, it's just a fantastic golf course. It's a, you know, for a municipal golf course, um, we keep it in uh, tournament ready shape most of the time. Um, it's, it's just fun to play. Um, the city does a fantastic job and they kind of let Clay and I do what we need to do to, to make the golf course what it is. Jason, speaking of trajectory, I saw a picture that the Kansas Golf Association posted of the 17th hole. It looks like the approach shot is to an extremely elevated green. Does it really play that much uphill? It, it, uh, so from the, uh, from the back tees, the, the hole plays about 175 yards. Uh, the women are going to play at probably 155 to 160, but it plays up about, uh, 12 yards. And if it's into the, uh, south wind, um, it can be a two or three club difference. So it's, uh, it's definitely the hardest part three on the golf course. So Jason Garden City is in Western Kansas for those not familiar with the area, not far from the Colorado border, kind of halfway between Wichita and Pueblo, Colorado. Being in one of the plain states, I've got to be guessing the girls are going to be faced with some very windy conditions. Is that going to be the case this weekend? 
we have a lot of wind. Um, unfortunately, this week we're also we may be battling some rain. Uh, I think we've got a chance for rain uh, every day, but the wind, you know, if we get a 15, 20 mile an hour wind, it's it's not real gusty. It's just a solid 15 or 20. There's nothing to stop it. Um, it it just it just blows. It's uh, I mean, if if you've got a fan at your house and you can turn it on max speed and stand in front of it for a couple minutes, that's kind of what it's like sometimes when we're when you're playing Buffalo Dune. So it can definitely get moving. So, Jason, what are you looking forward to seeing during the tournament this week? I am. I'm, I'm actually, when I get a chance to get out and watch, I, I really want to watch the rhythm of the girls' golf swings. Um, I want to watch their wedge game in particular, how they, you know, what they do to, they've got 100 yards and it's into the wind, what clubs they're going to pull. Um, we've, uh, what, what's really good is, is I'm also helping coach our, our Garden City Community College junior junior college team and and i've got all the players uh they're hooked up with at volunteer caddies for some of the girls so hopefully they'll learn some mm-hmm. stuff but uh it's just just shot selection club selection uh how they manage their games primarily um you know it's it's definitely not a power game for the ladies it's more of finesse and and how they work their way around the golf course i'm really interested in in kind of watching that and sitting down with a couple of them and, you know, just picking their brains about that, their thought processes and that sort of stuff. Jason, as as you guys were prepping for the event, anything you were surprised to learn as you were helping put the tournament together? You know, I, I think the big thing for me was uh, the amount of volunteer support. Um, we probably have close to 60 volunteers a day that will uh, direct uh, in certain different roles, whether it's, we call it ecology, going around and emptying trash cans to uh, sitting in the cart and uh, keeping track of uh, the girls' score, how many fairways they hit, how many greens they hit, putt. Um, just just all of that without without the support of the the city, uh, the the members out at Buffalo Dunes, um, this event would be really hard to pull off. So the the, volu- the volunteer aspect has, has really been a lot of fun, and the staff has done a great job in kind of spearheading that and getting all that put together. Jason, I know you're involved with the local girls' high school team, and, and one of your students, Alyssa McMillan, recently got a big win. Talk about working with her. So Alyssa and I have been working probably for almost a year now. She uh, she won her first high school event uh, of the year um, a couple weeks ago. She uh, She's only been playing about three and a half years, uh, and we just try to keep it as simple as possible for her. She, uh, she kind of struggled at the beginning of the summer. She uh, played in our, our AJGA event that we have in June, and and she struggled. She shot uh, she shot 85 and then 90. And it was kind of eye-opening for her. That was one of her first big events. But she, uh, I mean, her work ethic, her dedication. Um, she's also uh, she she's also one of my best employees. So just having her around, just being able to just kind of coach her from the ground up, I guess, is a, is a good way to put it. I mean, we spend a lot of time on our golf swing, but we also talk about playing golf and, and course management and, and everything. She's she's just going to become better and better. And talking about junior golf, when you're working with your junior players and they start playing in tournaments, how do you help them deal with playing in front of people for the first time and handling tournament pressure? I'm a big believer in in trying to create pressure for them. Um, I'm also a big believer in, in playing in as many tournaments as you can. Um, it's pretty invaluable to be able to get those reps. Um, that's something you hear Tiger talk about all the time. I need more reps. I need more reps. Um, it, it's it's something you've got to put yourself in that environment, um, and you're going to fail a couple times. I don't know many people that have succeeded right off the bat. It's it's kind of you, you have to learn get comfortable, get in that situation a few times. And, and you know, the more you work on your golf swing, the more we tighten it up. Uh, the, our short games, putting, um, just just everything involved, uh, it, it just makes it easier and easier. So I, if that kind of makes sense. Um, I, we, we try to play some games where we, we try to put pressure on the kids. Um, you know, my, my junior PGA League team is – if uh, we mess up or, or we lose, we'll do some push-ups or the kids will do some push-ups. I actually have a, a young man, a six-year-old, that was out with me uh, over the weekend, and uh, he he made two birdies, and I ended up some 20 sit-ups. And so it was uh, just kind of give and take like that. So I was a little sore the next day, but I wasn't used to that. So 
just stuff like that. Jason, I thought earlier this summer you had Ralph Terry, Yankees legendary pitcher there at Buffalo Dunes. He's near and dear to those of us from Pittsburgh and my parents' generation, having given up the home run to Bill Mazeroski in the bottom of the ninth of Game 7 of the 1960 World Series when the Pirates beat the Yankees. But he came back and won the MVP in the 1962 World Series. Do you see him out at Buffalo Dunes often? You know, so I met Ralph when I was down at San Angelo Country Club uh, with a gentleman named Sean Thayer. Sean is the uh, president of the Kansas Golf Association in the next couple of years, and uh, he introduced me to Ralph. And Ralph and I have just become really good friends. Um, he is an amazing, amazing individual. Um, he's got some really, really good stories. Um, Sean and I were talking about him the other day. Uh, one of the one of the people that really kind of helped transform. Ralph's game was a guy named Mac O'Grady, who you don't hear about a whole lot anymore. Um, and just, just listening to, to Ralph talk about, you know, he was one of, one of my favorite stories is, is Ralph was standing on the driving range, um, I think at the LA Open back in the early eighties and he was watching Jack Nicholas, uh, hit tee shots and all Nicholas was doing was trying to hit fade aim left and just hit it back to the middle of the driving range and and uh ralph went over and talked to him and and uh nicholas just said it's easier from the middle of the fairway so i'm just going to hit fades all week and uh that kind of that kind of stuck with ralph and i mean he's a fantastic he was a fantastic player like you said only got to win game seven and lose game seven of the world series um he's i mean he's just fantastic he's he's been uh a mentor and a good friend for me so and he's a great golfer, right? He won the, the 1980 Midwest PGA Championship. He qualified for uh, four PGA Tour events in 1981 and 82. Played on the Senior Tour, right, in the mid to late 80s. Finished 10th at the Showdown Classic in 89. He 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 was a heck of a player. He he can still play. He uh, what what's funny is uh, he'll come and play, and we'll go load his clubs up for him, and and you'll open his trunk, and there's probably every type of golf club you could ever imagine from 1975 on. Wilson Fat Shafts to King G400 Irons to a PXG Hybrid. So he is definitely a tinkerer. Jason, let our listeners know, how can they follow you both online and over social media as well? Now they they can follow me on uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, uh, or Facebook. Um post a lot of stuff about junior golf, a lot of stuff about the golf swing, you know, students we're working with. I mean, my my philosophy is keep it simple, and we're going to have fun. How can people find you on Twitter? Twitter is uh, Jay Hayes PGA. Well, Jason, it's been great having you as part of the show again tonight. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon. Give us an update. Let us know how the tournament went. It's uh, it's really been fun having you back on the show tonight. Absolutely. Um, one one thing I I didn't get to mention, Chris, is the the charity for the for the charity classic this year. We've got the our main sponsor is called Mariah Fund, and they take care of uh, tourism and do some different stuff in a 22-county area in, in southwest Kansas. In our charity this year, we've got 11 girls golf programs that that have high school programs, and uh, that's our uh, benefactor for the golf tournament this year, and we're really excited about that, um, and I think we're going to raise them a lot of good money tonight. So whenever I figure out what that dollar amount we end up with, I'll uh, – I'll email you or shoot you a text because I think it's going to be something pretty special tonight. A lot of these small-town programs don't don't have a lot of funding, and, and uh, we thought this would be a really, really good way to kind of promote women's golf in this area, kind of start at the high school level and junior golf area and, and just let it kind of feed itself from there. Well, Jason, that's fantastic stuff. I hope you'll come back and let us know how it went tonight because that is really great. Thank you, Chris. That is Jason Hayes, and uh, again, he is at J Hayes, H-A-S-E, at J Hayes PGA, and at Hayes Jason PGA on Twitter. And again, be sure to check out what they're doing there this weekend at the Symmetra Tour event. It's going to be fantastic, and I look forward to catching up with Jason again real soon. I've got my next guest, Alan Miller, hanging on the line. We're going to get to Alan on the other side of this quick station break. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. Now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is Alan Miller. Let me remind you about Alan's background. He's from San Diego, California. Played his college golf at the University of Georgia 
and was named team captain from 1968 to 1970. He was a second-ranked amateur in the country back in 1969 and 70, and he was a member of the 1969 and 1971 Walker Cup teams and the 1970 victorious Eisenhower Trophy team that also featured Tom Kite and Lanny Watkins. Allen won the 1970 Canadian Amateur Championship by 10 strokes over, among others, Billy Kratzer, the fellow Georgia alumni. Allen turned pro in 1971. Got his first win on the PGA Tour at the 1974 Tallahassee Open. He finished tied for 15th at the 1975 Masters and was tied for second after an opening round 68. In all, he had 18 top 10 finishes on tour and 69 top 25. Since retiring from the tour, he's become one of the best teaching professionals out there, along with his wife, Cindy Miller, who's one of my all-time favorite guests here on the show. You can see Alan regularly now on the Golf Channel's Golf Academy, sharing his tips and playing lessons. And I'm honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Alan. Thanks for coming back on the show. Good evening, Chris. It's nice to be with you again. You don't have to stop now. You can keep on going for the next half hour. I like this accolade. <laughs> especially when you get to be my when you get to be my age, you kind of forget some of that stuff. <laughs> Glad to help you out, Alan. Anytime. <laughs> Thanks very much. Okay. Alan, I know you're up there in the Buffalo area, so I got to ask you, before we get into all the golf stuff, one question on football. What's bigger for you, the Bills or Georgia football? Well, uh, because I'm in Buffalo, we don't get that much Georgia football. I try to keep up with as best I can on the on the TV stations that we do get up here. But uh, obviously the Bills is a big talk right now because uh, they've, you know, they come back last year to get in the playoffs finally after so many years. And when I first came up here, they stunk. And about three or four years later, they went to the Super Bowl. So we're kind of hoping that can happen again for them. But I keep up with both of them. I'm not, I'm not a, the hugest football fan. That's a good, that's a good word, but I do keep up with the best I can. Mm-hmm. If you didn't like, if you didn't pull for Buffalo up here, they'd run you out of town anyway. <laughs> no doubt. Okay. Now let's talk a little golf now. And, and we're a few months away from a whole slew of rules changes going into effect in January. Any of those changes that you say to yourself, you know what? It's about time. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt they would. Yeah. So, all right, so let's talk. Let's talk a little golf. And Alan, you know, we're we're a few months away from a whole slew of rules changes going into effect in January. Any of those yeah. changes that are coming up, that you know, that you've said to yourself, you know what? It's about time they they change this rule. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I don't know a lot of the changes yet because we have a lot of kids that are still playing under the old rules, and we've been teaching them the, the rules they have to play with till the end of the year. I do like the idea that you can leave the flag stick in, in again because when I first started playing, you left the flag stick in, and that's going to speed up play an awful lot. This business of trying everybody has to tend the flag for other people, it just slows yep. down play immensely. I remember Arnold Palmer when I was growing up watching him, you know, slam a putt in the hole with a flag stick in and winning tournaments. It's not going to happen that often. To, to make a big difference that way, but it, it's going to really help the speed of play up a lot, I think. And I think that's that's important. We got to get the game moving faster. Alan, what about the ability to repair spike marks? How many times were your putts on tour impacted by a spike mark that you couldn't repair? Well, I can't. I can't even start to think how many times. But I think it's ever since I started playing, it was a rule, and I think it was probably one of the stupidest rules ever. You know, you, you're always you're being penalized for somebody else's carelessness. Um, and I'm really glad to see them get rid of that. You know, it's not as bad today as it was back then because you know, most people don't have metal spikes. And most places won't let you play with them. But I know on the tour they can still wear the medical metal spikes, and that's going to help a lot out there. Even if they, I'm sure they're going to use the same rule. They use usually use the same rules. But you know, I know a lot of putts and stuff were affected by it. I just can't. I can't tell you how many. But you know, it was always a problem. And, and a lot of players on the tour. When I played especially, I can't say about today, but we always tried to repair as many as we could so it would be fair for everybody. But, you know, you could fix everything else, but you couldn't fix the spike mark, which made no sense at all. Today's, you know, the soft cleats and whatever, they don't make as much spike marks. They make scuff marks when people don't pick their feet up. Um, and I hope they can fix those, too. I don't know how. I haven't really read the rule, new rule yet, but I hope there would be spike marks and scuff marks because that's bad on a lot of greens now. I just say it's all, it's all but fair to let everybody fix spike marks. Alan, where do you stand on the whole equipment issue? Are we out of control with equipment technology, or is it just a natural evolution of things? Well, I, I, way back when, when they first started, you know, I was out when they didn't even have computers back in the early 70s, and I can remember going to the McGregor, McGregor factory when I was on their staff with Nicholas and Weisskopf and all those guys, 
in Albany, Georgia, where the ball plant was at that time, and trying out different configurations for dimples. We took a ball, we hit one ball that had no dimples on it whatsoever, and then maybe a row of three dimples right through the middle of it, no ball spots on both sides, and then they'd move them around, and you could see how the ball would fly differently. And then when the computer age started about 1980 or so, I think it was right around in there, 78 or 80, when they started getting a lot of computers, uh, they started getting the aerodynamics. And unfortunately, I think they should have stopped it a long time ago. The ball just goes way too far. I, I don't think it's the equipment nearly as much. In fact, I know it's not the equipment nearly as much as the ball. Um, you know, you saw, I think the other day, I saw Dustin Johnson hitting one of Nicholas or Gary players, one irons and drivers. And like he hit the driver 290. Well, hell, Nicholas hit the driver 275. Back in my day, you know, he was long, 265, 275, 280. He was long using even the old ball. So I don't think the equipment's nearly as much uh, as the golf ball. But, you know, you're not going to pull it back. Once it's kind of like taking everybody's cell phone away right now, you could never do that because we've all gotten so used to it. It's not going to happen. But, you know, I think they, they really need to make sure it doesn't go any further than it is. But how to do that, God knows, because the manufacturers have a whole lot of whole lot of pull and, uh, you know, the rules of golf are what they are. But. You know, to deal with both sides is going to be a tough battle, but it, it, it is definitely the ball as far as I'm concerned. And I think Nicholas has quoted that too a lot. And, you know, he'd like to have the one ball rule in effect for major championships. So I don't think that'll, I don't think that'll ever happen either, but I think that it's not a bad idea. Are you at all in favor of bifurcation where the pros would play a different golf ball than the rest of us? No, I don't think so. I, I think, I think it's just a matter of, you know, I, I don't know how much further they can go with a golf ball, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. What, and you got to have some dimples on there to get it up in the air. So I don't know how aerodynamic more they can make it. I won't say it won't happen because, you know, when I first started, they didn't have all this, all the equipment to make, make the new design. So who knows what's going to happen in 10 more years. But I think they ought to put a, you know, put a, uh, a yield sign on it or a halt sign and say, you know, we're not going to let it go any further than it already is. Alan, we talked a little bit about this last time, but for listeners who didn't join us then, you were right in the thick of things at the 1975 Masters. One of the greatest Masters probably ever. You were tied for second after the first round, thanks to shooting and opening round 68, and you were tied with Jack Nicholas at that point, one stroke behind Bobby Nichols. You would go on to shoot 75, 72, 73, finish at even par, tied for 15th. What do you remember about that tournament? Well, I remember the weather wasn't too good the first day, and I played good the first day, and I think I was out fairly early, so I had an early lead, or I was leading early, and then, of course, it went by being second place, but you know, it was a, it's a great memory now. But looking back at it, the, mo- the one, the one biggest highlight of the whole thing was when I made an eagle on 14 in the last round. You know, because back then the top 24 got in the next year, and I was not. You know, I was kind of struggling along trying to hold my position. I was playing with Buddy Allen, and I got to the 14th hole, and the day before I'd hit it one inch from the hole, out of the out of the wow. left rough, and the last day I was in the right rough, just off the fairway, and I held it out. It was like a two or three iron shot. Back in, again, back in those days, you know, it was a lot, played a lot longer than it does today. And I'll never forget Jack Whitaker, the old TV, the uh, racehorse announcer and football announcer in the hall, announcing mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. Great guy. He was in the tower and he was standing up in the tower clapping when I came up to get it out. But just wow. how, so ironic that one, the day before I hit it one inch and the last day I held it out and that helped me finish in the top 15. So I, you know, I was, I was, I was messing up like most people would do. You want to get back in and you think about that versus, you didn't have a chance to win, and I really didn't know what was going on in the in the big tournament. I look back at it now and see, you know, the battle between uh, it was a Johnny Miller and Nicholas and Weisskopf and all those right. guys. But I, I really didn't know much about what was going on because there was, you know, there were three or four holes behind me, and uh, you know, you hear the roars and stuff. But I was more concerned with me getting in than I was them. So I, I kind of missed out on all the action. I've seen some replays of some of the stuff. But it's kind of funny because one of our one of our high school coaches up here. And we teach some of it. We've taught some of his kids over the years. He said he was watching on YouTube a replay of the of that Masters that year, and he heard. Uh, and I had to be Jack Whitaker say, you know, a half hour ago, Alan Miller made an eagle two on this hole. So that was kind of cool. He put it on Facebook the next day. So it was kind of kind of cool to have a good memory like that. No doubt, Alan. What's it like walking up the 18th fairway and getting to the 18th green in a Masters? You know, it's it's. You're you're so much into what you're doing. I, to tell you how it would feel like being a winner would be impossible to say. But uh, there, no one in all the history that's been behind it was fantastic. The nice thing for me was I was an ex bulldog, so you know you had people constantly yelling at you, "Go dog, go dog!" The whole time you're playing, whether you're playing good or not. 
So that was always exciting. The first round, I remember, I kind of remember walking up. It was, again, you're in so much into what you're doing, you really don't get hung up in the emotion that much. You can look back at it, but now that's been 50 years ago. Now it's kind of hard to remember all that stuff. But, I, you know, I, the one, the highlight place, I think, with more than 18 was number 16, because that's where all the college kids hung out and everything else. And that's where the bull, the dog stuff came out a lot. And that was a lot of fun on the 16th hole. But the loudest galleries I've ever heard in my life. I mean, that, that just, just listening to any, you knew, you could tell by the sound what was happening. You could tell if it was an eagle or a birdie, a totally different sound. And you could tell almost back then of what player it was because the sound, sounds would be a little bit louder, a little less loud, depending on who the, who the person, person was making the, making the eagle or birdie come down the stretch. And Alan, you finished tied for 39th at the 1984 PGA Championship, which was won by Lee Trevino at Shoal Creek. You finished tied with our friend Richard Zokel, plus Dave Stockton, Greg Norman, Tom Watson, and several other great players in the history of the game. What was it like being a part of that tournament? Well, you know, again, I don't remember that much about the tournament itself, except for one thing. You could not find your golf ball one inch off the fairway. He had the longest, deepest Bermuda rough I've ever seen in my life. The ball would go down, the grass would come up, you know, how Bermuda stands straight up, and it would cover over the top of the ball. And if they didn't have marshals marking off all the spots exactly where your ball was, you'd never find the ball because it would go right to the bottom, and then the grass on top would close up. And you really had, even trying to hit it was almost impossible sometimes because you couldn't see right where it was. Um, and I, I, I remember, that's that's the main thing I remember about that tournament. Um, it's a beautiful, it was a beautiful place. It was the only time we played there, you know, the whole time I was on tour. But, um, you know, I, again, it's, I got some great memories of certain places. That one I don't remember a whole lot about, except I, I'll never, ever forget the rough. And speaking of the PGA Championship, Alan, how do you feel about the tournament moving to May next year? Last time it was played in May was 1949 when Sam Snead won at the Hermitage uh, Country Club there in Richmond, Virginia. But now next year we're going to move that thing to May and we're going to have sort of a condensed major championship season. What are your thoughts on that? I I don't have a whole lot of opinion. I was kind of surprised because it kind of takes the, in the thrill of it being the last major away from it. And I don't know when the schedule stuff, you know, it's I got what you got the Masters and then there'll be the PGA probably. Um, right. You know, I, yeah, I know it's, it's all done. It's all done in relationship for the Ryder Cup. They got too much stuff at the end of the year for one thing. There are too many things going on at the last moment to have a good Ryder Cup. So they're trying to court. I think they're trying to coordinate that kind of situation, the President's Cup and then the, the, the one, the tournament coming up in Atlanta. You know, you can't have all yeah. that stuff to, real close together. And I think that's what that's, was kind of part of their decision. Let's spread it out a little bit, maybe towards the early part of the season. I think that's probably where their major decision came from. But, you know, it's more of, it's my own television. I don't know what, you know, how their ratings will be, probably be better. Um, but again, they're the four majors and, you know, I don't think it really matters when they play them. Um, they're still going to be great tournaments no matter what. And Alan, like I mentioned in your intro, you had 18 top 10 finishes on tour and 69 top 25s during the 1970s, which is one of the great decades in the game's history. I know it's been a while, but what are some of your favorite memories from the time that you were out playing on the PGA Tour? Well, I I made made quite a few, I have quite a few friends. To be honest with you, most of the friends I had when I was playing the tour were from amateur golf. My days as an amateur. And a lot of cities we go to, they'd have different people that I'd played amateur golf with and we'd get together and stuff like that. Uh, I had a couple of, we all, you have, you, you know everybody, but you only have a couple of good friends. Um, the travel was, was way different because back then you almost, you drove almost everywhere unless you were one of the top two or three players because you couldn't afford to, to fly a lot. So you, and you had to be consistent way more so than today. So my career was always, you know, it was based on making a lot of cuts. Um, you know, my guy made a lot of career cuts when they first came out with the retirement plan. I was fully funded right at the very beginning by X amount of cuts. He had to make a huge amount of cuts to be funded right off the bat. So I'd already done that. And, and I, you know, every year I'd play in 20 to 35 to 30, 30 to 35 tournaments. So I was on the road constantly. Um, it's a great, it's a great experience. The nice part was always going back to the same city the next year because once you've been out there a couple of years, you know where to go to eat, what hotels to stay in. And you've met some people, you know, it just makes it a lot easier on you. The rookies have a really tough time playing, but I think that's the, that's the most important, most, most memories of just the travel and the, and the, excuse me, the friendships I made over the years out there. 
but for my golf game, it was just, I was always a real pretty steady player. So I, you know, I never had a lot, I didn't have a lot of top finishes, but I had a, quite a few of them, but I was always making a lot of cuts. So I was always playing four rounds, jump in the car and get to the next tournament. And that does take its toll on you after a while, but uh, you know, it gave me a chance to have a good long career in those days, especially 15 years in those days was a lot. Alan, when you were at a tournament and you were out on the practice range, you know, preparing yourself for your round, whether it was, you know, during a practice round or the days leading up to an event or, you know, the morning or the afternoon when you would go back out onto the range, was there someone on tour that you'd watch to try to pick up something that could perhaps help you, you know, improve in some area of your game? Uh, yes and no. I was I was taught by Bob Toski. I changed my whole game in 1968 from a big hook to a straight to a fade uh, way before I was still in college. And that helped me become a really good ball striker. So that's why the next two years I was number one to Amateur America. But what he believed in was basically from Ben Hogan through through that, that series of type of teaching, of the kind, that style of play. And, and, of course, Jack Nicholas was taught by Jack Rout. So I spent a lot of time watching Jack when he was out. Um, I did have the fortune of when I was last year, I was an amateur. I was invited by Bing Crosby to play in the, now they're called the AT&T, but it was a Bing Crosby tournament back then. And Bing personally invited me to play and my partner was Lee Trevino. So I became good, you know, fairly good friends with Lee and I'd play a lot of practice rounds with him. And, uh, I'll never forget the first time I ever met him was on the first tee at Pebble Beach in the first round of the tournament. Cause you know, out there you spread out, you don't play the practice, not necessarily your pro and you meet, might meet your pro the first round. And that's what I did. Um, and we both drove off the first tee at Pebble Beach. He put his arm around me as we're walking down the fairway and said, partner, we're going to have a good time this week. Cause we hit the ball exactly the same way. And from that time on, we became good friends and I, and I would play a lot of practice times and he'd give me tips and or watch me. And if I was starting to hit a goofy, we'd, he'd help me on my swing a little bit or my game a little bit. And he showed me a couple of, Shots, we call them caddy shots back then. Shots around the greens that I still teach. In fact, one of them's on the golf channel. Uh, it's called the chop shot. And I still, I use it almost everywhere now, but he saw me struggling with that shot. We call those, I call those inside the rope shots because people in the gallery would have no idea what we're doing up there with that kind of shot. So it's, it's hard to explain how to do it, but, uh, it was something you've learned by having a player that's had the experience of maybe playing with one club all the time. So that, that was really important. So he would, he would be the one I'd watch. Uh, I always like watching good swings, not necessarily that I would uh, utilize what they did or whatever, but see the differences. I've always prided myself and I can use swing a golf club with almost any theory there is. I don't care if it's, uh, stack and tilt, which is, you know, I've been out since I was left the tour or turn and rotate or toss, you know, keep your body still in release like I believe in the way Nicholas would play versus the way, say, Jordan Speed today which is a different technique. I, I can hit a golf ball good either way because I've done it both ways. Uh, so I always kind of like to watch other people do the things and, and see what could be an easier way to swing a golf club. And I was known as, when I was, even when I was an amateur, I had a lot of knowledge about the swing. Um, and that was always fun for me. I'm kind of, Cindy calls me a golf geek or a swing geek because I like to, I like to keep up. But I really, I really don't try to experiment with stuff because I really believe in what I would believe in. But it's all what I was taught. It's nothing that I came up. It's a big deal. And, and I, you know, I heard you mention Tiger at the end of the show, the last, the last guest, and I, I really didn't hear what was being said much about it. But, you know, he's swinging more like he did when he was with Butch Harmon now than he has in the last 15 years. As uh, if he could ever put his driver swing into the same swing he does with his irons, you know, and I could tell him what to do, but he's not going to listen to me, and that's okay. I don't really care. But if he ever, you know, he's finally going back to what his roots were to got him to be really, really a good ball striker, which he was in the, you know, very late sixties or, or in nineties and early, early two thousands. So it's nice to see somebody that's finally put his brain and body together, not just physically, but golf swing wise to say, no, this is probably an easier way to play than what I've tried, been trying to do. Alan, before I let you go, got to get a tip from you. And I saw one that you did on Golf Academy for getting out of a buried lie in a bunker and having the ball land soft and roll out like a putt. Do you mind sharing that one with us? Not at all. In fact, that was on uh, just on Facebook and Twitter yesterday, I think, or the day before yesterday. Uh, it's a shot that I learned and I did with uh, Martin Hall on the Golf Channel. And it was a shot I learned on the 18th green bunker on at the Masters. The first year I played in the Masters. You know, if everybody remembers the 18th hole, you got, uh, I, I think it's, it used to be two bunkers. I think it says one big one now. Um, uh-huh. but anyway, it was a bunker that's, it was a bunker right before the, 
dig up slope. So Sabanka catches a lot of shots if they bail out to the right. And it's a very difficult shot. It's the one that Arnold Palmer blasted it over the green and lost the Masters, making double bogey quite a few years before that. And I was, Gary Cowan, I was messing around trying to figure out a way to hit a shot. Gary Cowan, the ex-U.S. Amateur champion, when we were playing a practice round, he said, I got a shot I'm going to show you over here. So he tells me, we go over in that bunker, and he, he, what you do is you put your feet, and you know, people have to go on the Internet to try to find it on the Golf Channel. It's on the Golf Channel, uh, golfchannelacademy.com. And if they Google my name, they'll find it. But you, you aim your body feet 45 degrees to the right of where the to- where the target is. So you have, imagine a line through the ball to the hole where you want or wherever you want to hit it to. And you turn your feet 45 degrees, but you point the club face on the line that's pointed to the hole. So the club face is going to look really shut to you when you set up to it because you've got your body 45 degrees right. And this shot, you don't use any wrist, and I'm a wristy person, so it takes a, it takes a lot of willpower not to break my wrist. But I use what I call an underslung motion, but I try to swing the club, I don't try to, I do, on the line that I, that I imagine towards the hole, not where my feet are. So it's kind of like it goes out away from you and comes across you a little bit, but you just, and you just let the club fall in the sand about an inch before the ball. And what it does is the club, because you, the way you set it up, the leading edge is going to go on the club. You know, some people tell you to chop it out and that works, but it takes off when it, when it hits the green. It runs like crazy. This shot gets so much sand between the face of the club and the ball, the ball just kind of runs, rides out really slowly on a bed of sand. It comes out a little low, so you got to make sure you got room. But when it hits the ground, it starts rolling like a putt. It comes out really, really soft, and you can, you, if you get good at it, you can start holding some buried lunker, bunker shots out, and instead of worrying about keeping it on the green, you can start getting them really close. And it's a shot that I would not have come up with my own. Gary taught it to me, and I've used, I've used it ever since. And that's a shot I did on the Golf Channel when we were down there last summer. That's a great tip, and I'm going to be putting that one into play. So thank you very much for sharing that, Alan. It really works. Alan, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you and your wife, Cindy, are doing, whether it's online or it's over social media? Well, you can. My all three of my names are... It's either at Alan Miller Golf or Alan Miller Golf on Facebook. I have a page like Mike or it's, I think Twitter is at Alan Miller Golf. And, uh, Instagram is whatever they do on Instagram, but it's Alan Miller Golf. Everything's Alan Miller Golf. Makes it easy. And then we have a website, www.alanmillergolf.com. And Cindy also has, and she's the same way. She has Cindy Miller Golf, CindyMillerGolf.com or Cindy Miller Inc. She's using a lot now, Inc.com. Um, and if you ever get to Buffalo, just look us up. We'd love to have, have to say hello to everybody. Alan, so much more I'd like to get into with you. I hope you'll come back again real soon because you are such a pleasure to have as part of the show. Chris, I would love to be, I would love to be with you anytime. Just give me a call. All right, Alan, give my best to Cindy, and I really appreciate your time tonight. I'll certainly do it. Have a good evening, bud. That is the great Alan Miller. And, folks, I'm telling you, look them up. Alan Miller Golf and Cindy Miller Golf. They're both doing great things up in the Buffalo area, both on and off the golf course. And they're, like I say, they're great instructors and even better people. All right, I've got my next guest, Jerry Mullaly, hanging on the line. I'm going to get to Jerry on the other side of this quick station break. You're listening to Next on the Tee. Heard around the world on great sites like TuneIn and Podbean. Hear your favorite PGA and LPGA legends, pros, and top instructors sharing their stories, insights, and tips to lower your scores every week here on Next on the Tee. Now, back to you, Chris. Now back with me on the French Lake Resort guest line is Jerry Mullaly. Jerry is the founder of Advanced Golf Nutrition, the makers of Parbar, which you've heard me talking about here on Next on the Tee for years now. It's an all-natural energy bar that can help us stay energized and focused during our rounds of golf. He recently added Par Water to keep us hydrated out on the course as well. Both are a constant in my golf bag. Jerry graduated with his degree in food science from Queen's University in Belfast, got his postgraduate degree in international marketing and languages from Birmingham Shire New University, and I'm honored to have Jerry back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Jerry, thanks for coming back on the show. Nice to be here, Chris. So, Jerry, for the folks who weren't with us last time you joined me, take us back to the beginning and why you created Parbar. Well, um, 
as you know, I'm a food chemist by background, and um, I'd always have my own ways of uh, staying energized on the golf course. And three years or so ago, I started um, advanced golf nutrition to make golf uh, nutrition products that were specific to, to golf. But the energy profile that you require in golf is very different to other sports. You want an even, constant energy throughout the round. And using nutrition science, we know that by forming a matrix of proteins to release carbs and fiber, that we can make a product that will neither um, uh, elevate or your energy levels, but will maintain them throughout the, throughout the round. Um, you know, and so we developed uh, our bar. We first came out with one bar, which was a peanut butter flavored bar. And uh, through the course of the first year, we did a lot of work with junior golfers, and we became aware of the surprisingly high levels of people of young kids that had nut allergies. So we introduced a, a nut flea bar the following year. And I'm glad to say we're, we now sell those products um, to about 300 clubs, mostly around the northeast and a little bit in, in the Florida market. But we're slowly getting the word out to golfers that there is a product there that's designed for golf and specifically for golf. And uh, you do need to keep your, your energy levels up, but you need to keep them at the right levels. And... Power Bar does that, so we have players on most tours use the product. Um, we are not a company that uh, uh, has the financial resources to um, have sponsorship arrangements, um, so they have found us, and they like our product, and um, uh, we are more than happy to... Uh, to supply them product in return for them spreading the word. So that was that was the first product that we got into. Um, and uh, but the goal of our business is to bring better nutrition to golf and make golfers understand that uh, nutrition has a very important role in golf, particularly for competitive golfers. If you lose energy or focus on the course, it doesn't matter how, how good your swing is, how good your mechanics, how hard you're in practicing, your scores will go in the wrong direction. And it's a simple fix, and it's one that all golfers, the golfers, need to be paying attention to. So, Jerry, to your point, when my buddies are sitting down at breakfast and eating pancakes or a sausage and egg biscuit or stopping at the turn for a hot dog or a candy bar, what kind of advantages will I have or will our listeners have when they choose a par bar instead? Well, the advantage uh, of, of that bar is that it just provides you with the, uh, the right level of energy to, um, to complete your round and stay constant throughout the round. The difficulty that people have are eating products that are high in simple sugars um, is that they will get a spike of energy and then it falls off rapidly. A lot of hot dogs have a very high level of fat, for instance. That's the last thing you need to eat if you want to stay competitive during the round. Fat makes you lethargic. Uh, we don't need to eat a lot on the golf course if we've been serious about our golf. If we're just out for a bit of fun, want to have beer and hot dogs and whatever, that's fine. Golf is not and the, the 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 quality of your golf is not what you're focused on. But if you are focused on playing better and playing to your best, it's important to be energized properly. And so I'd say have a hot dog when you get in, but there's no value. In fact, it's a very ne- negative thing to take products that are high in fat while you're on the course. Jerry, I've heard you talk about how par bars can help improve relaxation and the anxiety that so many of us have, particularly when we step to the first tee. Talk about how they can help with anxiety. Well, we have, um, people are familiar with green tea and the calming effects of green tea. Green tea is two amino acids, and most people are familiar with one, which is caffeine, and the other is called theanine. And a lot of studies have been done with DNA uh, 
clinical studies that have demonstrated that at a 200 milligram level, it helps us with mental relaxation, and ultimately that means better focus and reduces uh, anxiety. It's a very well-documented natural ingredient, and one of the things that we've made sure with Power Bar is that we put it in at a level where it actually does the job it's supposed to do. There are so many nutrition products out there that make claims of benefit, beneficial claims, but the ingredient level or the active level of those ingredients is below the threshold of what it will deliver. Every single power bar contains 200 milligrams of theanine, and that is that active ingredient that helps with mental relaxation and ultimately better focus on the course. Um, and it's well documented and, and it's a, uh, it's a natural ingredient. It's just, uh, extracted from, uh, the green leaves, um, the green tea leaves. Uh, so that's what's unique. Our bar is the only bar out there that has a product like this in it. As I say, it's, it's scientifically documented to do what it's supposed to do. So, Jerry, let's talk hydration. You've now added par water to your lineup. Talk about what par water is. Hydration is a huge issue, not just in golf, but in life generally. 80 to 90% of people are mildly dehydrated all the time. It affects every aspect of performance in their life. We know that, you know, our bodies are 70% water, our brains are 85% water. Our cells require water to survive. We need to have regular intake of fluid to maintain a properly hydrated body. And most people are under the impression that water is sufficient. But water, if you're sweating at all through exercise or hot or uh, warm weather conditions, you need to replace those vital electrolytes. So we introduced power water this year. In two natural, it's a completely natural product, uh, in, in two flavors, and we're delivering, we're only focused on improving your hydration and providing optimum hydration. We're not trying to do half a dozen other things. Our products are solely for hydration. Now, the unique thing about our power water product is, and I believe you've tried it and seen it, Chris, um, the electrolyte powder is housed in the top of a cap that will fit on any water bottle. And it just snaps onto the water bottle. You press it, and it disperses the electrolyte mix immediately into the water and converts your water into an electrolyte drink. And it's measured with the optimum level, optimum ratios of electrolyte salt. So you don't have to worry. You're getting, you're going to, you're going to be getting the right levels to stay hydrated throughout the round. Now, in the Northeast this year, and I know across the country, we've had a very hot, humid weather. And I call it a three-cap day when I go out to play around the golf. Three 16-ounce bottles of water with that converted into electrolyte drink with our cap to stay fully hydrated. And this product has been extremely well received, not just at golf, but also uh, with kids' soccer and tennis for a number of reasons. One, it tastes good. Two, it's only got one gram of a slow-release glucose in it, so it's extremely low in sugar. Most people are familiar with things like uh, Gatorade. Uh, We have one gram of sugar in our product. They have 34 grams of sugar. Those levels of sugar are just excessive, and they are typically in the product because to reduce the bitterness of the potassium and and reduce the the saltiness of the product. But we've created this product. All you need is access to water, a water bottle or even a container. Just press it, shake it, and you've converted your water into into an electrolyte drink. They're, They're tasty, they're natural, and you just need to carry a few of these caps around either in your pocket or your golf bag or your gym bag or or your uh, or your purse, and uh, uh, you're all set. People like the product, but they really like the convenience of it. And those people that understand exercise understand the importance of replacing those electrolytes. 
one of the first things that happens to us, in fact, there's a lot of studies done on dehydration, even with golfers. There's a study done by the American Institute of Biotechnology, 300 golfers, and the definition of dehydration was that you were feeling thirsty. And they find, with the 300 golfers, they find that they lost up to 12% in distance and 93% in accuracy. And I've never seen or heard of a golfer that could afford those kind of shortcomings. So hydration is, in my opinion, the most important aspect in golf is staying hydrated. And it's important to know what you're, what you're drinking. It's also important to know what the product is made up of. And, uh, as I say, ours is very simple. It's, um, the simple ingredients delivers the salt, and it's very convenient. One of the nice things about it is, you know, a Rhinogal can take five hours, and I know some of these college kids, it can be a 36-hole tournament, and they're out there for seven or eight hours. The weather conditions can change dramatically. And one of the nice things about our cap is that A, may start out, and it's not particularly humid, but it can change dramatically in a couple of hours. And just to have that in their bag as gives them a level of comfort that is hot and sweaty out there, that they've got the right product to deal with them. Jerry, you mentioned a moment ago that it could be a three-cap round. Talk about how I should be consuming par water. Should I be having some before my round and then intermittently throughout the course of the round? How am I making sure that I'm staying properly hydrated throughout the round? Proper way to stay hydrated is to drink before your round, during your round, and after your round. Whether that's in golf or whether that's in the gym or doing any type of vigorous exercise, you can't wait until you start to feel a little thirsty. It's too late. You've got to maintain a regimen that, that means that your body is constantly in a state of hydration. You know, some days it it all well, I you know if it's if it's seventy degrees and there's little humidity, you probably are only going to need to drink one bottle of par water. But as I'm saying today, for the summer that we've had with the high humidity and high temperatures, you need to keep drinking all the time. I mean, especially uh, particularly if you walk the course, if it's a hilly course, if you find yourself sweating more than normally. You really got to, to maintain that level. Jerry, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can order the product and then stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's online or over social media as well. Well, they can go to our website. It's called powerbargolf.com, and uh, we sell the products there, and we talk about the products and go into the science as to how they work and give a lot of detail about the ingredients. and. We have a lot of testimonials there from everyday players right through to our players who, who see the benefits of these products. I do write articles for different organizations. I did one recently for the Golf Coaches of America, specifically talking about how to stay hydrated. It was uh, probably sometime around May or so. Uh, so we, you know, we try to keep our name out there and where we get the opportunity to Talk groups into groups associated with the game of golf. We have we've been doing so. We're active on Instagram particularly, and uh, you know we're also Facebook and some of the other things. But our website is the probably got the most information. Parbargolf.com, and that's where people can buy product. And we do we have trial packs that people can order if they're um, We'll just try out the products before before making a big commitment. Well, Jerry, I've been a huge proponent of the products since you and I first met a couple of years ago. I eat a par bar. I start on it before I get to the first tee, and I eat it throughout the course of the front nine. I have another one as I'm getting ready and going through the turn. And on the back nine, I've got a half a dozen of the uh, par water caps in my bag at all time to keep myself at the, at the optimal level of hydration as well. So I can't thank you enough for your partnership and for coming back on the show and reminding us about all the great things that you can continue to do. We're recognized by the by Golf Digest for our, for our bar, which was 
which is a nice thing, just uh, confirming to us that we're on the right path and the people were, were, were seeing some value in it. Well, I certainly do. And Jerry, I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight and educating us more on the importance of nutrition and hydration. I hope you'll come back and join me again soon. Let us know about all the great things that you're doing. It's always great having you as part of the show. Thank you. Appreciate it, Chris. Take care. All right. You take care as well, Jerry. That is Jerry Mullaly of Par Bar Golf. And again, parbargolf.com is where you can find it online and order the product. It's fantastic stuff, folks. And I'm telling you, I wouldn't tell you that if I wasn't using both products myself. They are in my golf bag as we speak, and I think they're very important and, and help us play our best golf. So again, parbargolf.com. My thanks to Jerry Mullaly for being a part of the show again tonight. All right, folks, it's time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out again to Jason Hayes, Alan Miller, and Jerry Mullaly for joining me tonight. Please give me your thoughts. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Team with Chris Mascaro. Give us a like. That's very important to us, plus any other feedback you might have. Plus, if you have a question for one of our future guests, let me know. I'll be glad to get that out there for you or someone who's been on the show with us previously. We'll go back and get that question answered for you. Check us out on, online at nextonthetea.net. That's where you'll see who some of our future guests are going to be, those that have joined us. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari, our announcer Joe Lajanusa as well. That show airs live every Thursday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Blog Talk Radio, and that show, like this one, also available as a free podcast, both on iHeartRadio and our good friends over on Podbean. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we're joined every week by five NFL legends sharing their stories from their playing days, plus their insights into what's going on around the league today. We also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. Again, you can find that show online at thursdaynighttailgate.com or this show at nextonthetea.net. We're also linking back, like I say, to our good friends over on Podbean, our page over there. Check us out there as well. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you're doing it. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the G with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday. To hear more stories about the game we love From people who love sharing those stories with you It's all about the great game of golf It's all about the great game of golf